SequelCast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. You are one ugly amphibian! After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is SequelCast. They are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. We're part of the HyperX Podcast Network and uh, we are continuing our look at the Toxic Avenger with the Toxic Avenger Part 3, The Last Temptation of Toxie. Came out in 1989, directed by Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz. Written by Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz. And um, with me is Thrasher. Let me bop Claire, let me bop Claire, let me bop Claire. And Alex. I was one depressed, toxic dude. That's not a bad imitation. Yeah, he has the... This is... um, yeah, kind of a weird situation. I guess not weird because other movies have have done it, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But this is Toxic Avenger three. This was Toxic Avenger two. Was just so much footage was shot. They, they might have added some stuff as as wraparound segments. I'm not quite sure the the particulars. But they had so much footage they basically made it into two separate films. And while well, the first uh, half uh, Toxy Two is in um, you know Tokyo in Japan and has kind of a story. This one, I think it's you really feel like they're dragging something out past the length it should be. It's 102 minutes, and at least for me, I felt every one of those minutes. Yeah, the Thrasher. I this this is a, such a, a weird movie because on the one hand, I do think it has a it, it's got a better story and better plot than the previous film. And yet it makes for a, a somewhat worse movie that like really like the middle is just dead. But the yeah. first act and the last act are top notch, but the middle, it just drags and drags and drags. Alex? Yeah, drags big time. And I think the fatal flaw to the second and third movies, and it's it's amazing to me that the first one has such a great pacing and it's like so like kind of this like tightly wound fun adventure. And the, yeah, I think the fatal flaw of the second, third ones is that they're just too damn long. Not that they're long movies, but they're these movies should be like 80 minutes, just like the first one. And you would have such a slam bang rock in time, I feel like. I think the plot gets overly complicated or maybe the fight scenes get a bit too long. Like the first one, uh, the plot is. You know, not that different from RoboCop, really. It's a simple or, or Death Wish. It's a simple sort of revenge thing. These guys did stuff to me. I'm gonna get back at them. Exactly. And but then yeah. he goes to it, clean up his hometown of Tromaville, New Jersey. Yeah, which was such a broad thing that I don't. I do love the poster for this though. That he punches uh, a dragon holding the apocalypse logo, which looks like the devil's pitchforks <laughs> and the whole reason why the bad guy's green at the end is uh they were supposed to get paint and they got the wrong color paint <laughs> so trauma being trauma and time is money they just went with it and yet though i think that's one of the better things about the movie is its devil design i mean it's it is because oh, they yeah, go the, with green on the face it's not yeah. what you expect and it makes a True. neat kind of counterpoint you know, to, to sort of the, the toxic colors that are behind so much of Toxie's bag. You make a fine steam ham thrasher of that comment. That's, <laughs> that's, that's quite something. I, I never thought of it that way. And I also wonder, had they got red, if you get the wrong shade of red, it just looks really strange. I think green you can play around with more. Yeah, it's good contrast so, to the rest of the set and stuff like that. That too, right? Uh, instead of against like a brick wall or, or something. Uh, also, but, like, um, yeah. fucking uh, the freaking head of Apocalypse is like serious Tim Curry vibes. Also, and if oh, they got darkness red, and legend, yeah, yeah. If they got red, it'd look way too much like legend. 
Oh, good point. Yeah, Rick Collins plays the chairman of Apocalypse Incorporated, and he's doing a really good job. I think he was a soap opera actor. I could see that. Yeah, and he just seems to be having the time of his life. Uh, well, he's one and, of the few people from this movie who came back to do new special features that was released on DVD. Oh, really? That's, yeah. And he was thrilled to do it. Apparently, he had a great experience working on this movie, these two movies. I bet. So it, it's, it's quite something. And you have all of these, uh, yeah, you see some, some characters and, and sets and stuff reused from the second one and part of me wishes originally uh the all the footage from talk 2 was like one four hour thing and i that that kind of assembly cut and i wonder what that would have looked like yeah it would have been age, even more painful or maybe it would have played better in this age of extended cuts that is something that i would i would be interested to see both of these movies together as intended without any of the extra footage shot but at the same at the same time you could also just skip from straight from Toxie 1 to Toxie 4 if you really wanted to. Yeah, and we'll talk about that more next week. I do think, I wonder if there's like fan edits or something that try to make Toxie 2 and 3 down to one film that's like 90 minutes or something. We might I have think, to look into that. I can kind of just like see it in my head. I mean, yeah. I like if you just took each movie and like you can also tell like which footage is from which shoot kind of because like there's kind of like, you know, contrast and quality between certain scenes also so you guys you might be able to help me out here which was there footage recycled between part two for part three like anything like the video store showdown because i was uh, no, the video the video store showdown is new for this film it's mostly what split between the two or shared between the two is is b-roll so the footage of people dancing in the streets reused gotcha. um one of the chairman's speeches the the like the establishing shot of Apocalypse Incorporated's interior where the chairman's giving the speech, that's reused. The uh, orange juice plant turning into the agent orange plant, a lot of that's reused. Okay, yeah. I think the thing is, is that usually I'm good at differentiating between that stuff, but when such close proximity, they kind of run together by watching week to week. Also, I think the Trome app just automatically played part three after watching part two last week. Mm. <laughs> sure. I think mentally the, I just lumped them together. No, it, it, it makes sense. And, um, you know, all that stuff in, in, in Toxie 2 that was shot in Japan, I think it, it looks better than most trauma movies do. And I'm not knocking trauma here necessarily, but it, it just, you get, it may, I think it's, I'm speaking more like the production value. You get these nice wide shots of these gardens in the middle of the city or the, uh, um, you know, the, the big, busy hustle and bustle of Tokyo and, and all these things. It, it just seemed to give it a different flavor. And Tromaville is fine, but like Tromaville also looks like something we've seen in a lot of different movies. Aside from Toxie's house, uh, yeah, it, it's not, it's just a, a town. So you're saying the city isn't a character in its own right? I, I don't think so, no. Tromaville plays itself. <laughs> now you beat me to it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like all the, all the citizens and stuff of different ages and and the message they're trying to send about pollution and, and these things. But um, but anyhow, you know, the beginning of this film at the movie rental store, this it has an epic kind of fight sequence, kind of like we saw at the beginning of the second one. And I, uh, I to me, it's my favorite part of the film, and, and no small part that I worked at a few different video rental stores uh, back in the day. No, it is it is a truly amazing scene. It is probably overall the best sequence in the movie. Uh, you get like, and it has a little bit of everything. It's got violence, it's got gore, it's got physical comedy, it's got borscht belt humor because there's because it's a family run by a Jewish drive-in or it's family run by a it's, it's a, a rental place run by a Jewish family, and and also just so many gags that take advantage of what's in the video rental store. So like the guy getting wound up in the videotape, uh, the uh, Toxie, they have the cardboard promotional cutout of Toxie that Toxie hides in front of and does the double take thing. Uh, and my personal favorite, yeah. Can you and, and on this one second, is so me. dependent on technology, what? they have that 
video rewind machine and he puts the guy's hand in the vcr but then we show on the screen on the screen we see his hand get shredded by the gears in the video in the yeah. vcr for some Hold reason, on, i have to get monitor. yeah i have to get my dog for a second uh, continue okay. talking oh yeah yeah i love it that for some reason this video rewinder has a monitor that shows what like goes on when you rewind a tape well, it's one of those things that works perfectly by cartoon rules. I mean, this this is this is for all intents and purposes. This is Bugs Bunny going up against like five Elmer Fudds. Yeah, this is like Bugs Bunny meets RoboCop. And, and like and like that one gang that attacks the Taco Shack. Every member of this gang looks like they're from a different gang from a different movie. Yes, totally. And um. The other thing that cracks me up, too, is that, like, they do definitely play on that, like, hey, thanks for saving me, but you also, like, fucking destroyed my store. <laughs> yeah, they, I presume they have insurance. Everybody's got toxic insurance in exactly. Tromaville. Very good insurance plans in Tromaville. Um, but, yeah, like, you can kind of tell as it keeps going, because it goes on for a while. They're kind of like, yeah, like, at first, like, woo, toxic, and then it's kind of like after, like, the fourth guy, like, yeah, all right, you, you threw him through the door, thanks. But it's also... It's also kind of like like it, it speaks to our anxieties about film today because I believe there's even a line like we don't want these corporate Disney films we want art we want independent cinema we want trauma. <laughs> and Lloyd Kaufman himself, you know, make, makes and continues to make those comments uh, all the time uh, about he's not uh, wrong. Yeah, he's not wrong. I mean, he was really ahead of the curve on that. And the the Disney comment, you know, this was before. You had Disney seemingly own like every property on the face of the earth, like Star Wars and Marvel and uh, Fox and all that stuff now. So it, it, it's strange. Yeah, because at the time, a Disney was just an animation studio and a theme park. It didn't own any uh, it didn't own any TV networks yet. The the, the Disney Renaissance had just started right. with The Little Mermaid. <laughs> like really, the only edge they had is that they were dominating home video at the time. Those infamous uh, thick clamshells, I can still picture the, the smell oh, when yeah. I was a kid of those things. And you'd go to a friend, or at least I would go to friends' houses and look on their shelf and see what Disney they had that we didn't own. And I'd, I'd ask to, to watch it or put it on in the background or something. Oh, gosh. And, and just a little flashback. There was a period where those those VHSs could be quite pricey. We actually circulated those tapes in my family. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Look, I mean, nowadays, well, the Disney kind of slightly off topic, but I mean, like Nintendo, Disney stuff tends to hold its its value okay. But the VHS stuff, I think, is the, the players are going up in price. But as far as individual movies on VHS, unless it's something really cult and out of print, I, they're not worth that much. Um, however, when I did work at a, a used DVD store back in 2006, uh, Disney. Um, on you know we we talked about this on the show uh, quite some time ago but they had the thing we put the movie in the vault that kind of now they call it FOMO the fear of missing out oh that, that but, uh, forced scarcity yeah 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 forced uh, scarcity I think it's really funny when they do it for digital stuff too where it's like why <laughs> the, the digital vault I know uh, oh, right yeah uh, before it leaves the streaming service. Um, one of the streaming services, I think Peacock, when it launched, had a section like leaving soon on day of launch. Well, well, oh, come it, on. It, yeah. The HBO Max has the had the exact same thing and still it did it. That's crazy. I mean, of course, all that stuff is, is planned in advance, but it's kind of a slap in the face. Anyhow, I, uh, I would like we, to put out a call. Yes. To our to our viewers, so one uh -huh. of my so so speaking of, of, of Disney, my, one of my holy grails uh, in 1997, there was a TV movie, The Love Bug, of course based on Herbie the Love Bug, starring Bruce Campbell and John Hanna and Dana Gould. Disney, in their cowardice, does not make this available anywhere. If you know where I can find it, viewers, please contact us. Is this not the one with Lindsay Lohan? No, that one came out in like 2000, in like the 2000s. This is the 97 one? Yeah, 1997. So this would have been on Wonderful World of Disney. Yes, it would have. And I caught it, it when it aired because I was a huge yep. Bruce Campbell fan. And, right. and a and Dana is, Gould fan. Yeah. Okay, and I believe that at a certain point, Michael Eisner started introducing those things like Walt Disney did. And uh, 
Eisner's a smart guy, but he's no Walt Disney as far as the like folksy charm. Um, the, the point I was very affected about him. Uh, uh, yes, uh, overly rehearsed. Um, the original point I was trying to get to is uh, when I worked at the used DVD store, you had the limited edition Disney stuff, uh, and they had I think maybe uh, the name on this is slightly wrong. I'm going from my memory. It might have been like Diamond Collection or something, some some premium line of the Disney DVDs. And this was Snow White and uh, the Seven Doors, and we were able to sell that used for sixty bucks oh in two thousand six at our store. And people would do it because it's Disney. And like the the um, the mom who bought it like seemed kind of ashamed, but she's like, "It's my grandma's favorite. It's my mom's favorite." I'm like, I get it. I get it. Oh, hey, good good news, listeners. Friend of the show, Alex has uh, has furnished me with a copy of the Love Bug <laughs> from nineteen ninety seven with Bruce Campbell and Dana Gould. And it looks like it has John Hanna. Is that the, the guy from The Mummy, maybe, in it? I think so. The sidekick? Well, I'll, I'll watch it, and I'll let you all know. Yeah, it could that, be a yeah. bogus link. I'm not sure. I haven't checked it yet. Right. I mean, YouTube, it was never... They're certainly tightening the reins on these things, but um, there's a lot of stuff that only aired on TV or only was on videotape that just never got a release in their formats. And uh, sometimes YouTube of, is the only place to, or Vimeo, the only place to preserve those. Um, a lot of obscure Paul Fusco specials. Are they all find also. some good Hong Kong joints too? Yes. Yeah. You can um, tell how much we want to talk about the last. I know, right? God. <laughs> right. I mean, so with with the video place, it's it's fun to see a wall full of the the trauma VHS boxes with with the black background. They had the toxic thing on the corner. I mean, they were very good at branding. Um, not unlike the Disney stuff, where you can go to a store and you can look and tell it's trauma. Yeah. It's funny because, like, it starts with a video store business, which is great. It's hilarious. And it's, again, like, it's a great parody and, like, you know, imitation of action movies. It's just destroying fucking everything. And, like, the disproportionate amount of, like, damage caused by bullets. You've got, like, videotapes just fucking flying off the shelves in, like, a tornado of fucking destruction. It's quite hilarious. And then it goes on to be like, well, everything's great in Tromaville. Like, how lame would it be if you had the Toxic Avenger doing all this ordinary stuff, like having kids eat their lima beans? And then what do they do? They give him a job. <laughs> well, at one point, he tries to work at the videotape place, which I'm sure is great for security purposes. But he's so radioactive, he keeps erasing the tapes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's... So, so at this point, I think something that we do we do need to talk about because this is a theme. When Toxic Avenger became a franchise, th there really is a theme of growing up throughout the films. Because like in the in the first film, Toxie is like a young man. He's like a late late teens, early twenty somethings guy. He doesn't really have any. He's sort of trying to find a general direction for his life. And then the second film. You know, it's about it's about you know him coming to terms with being a man, kind of learning learning sort of a level of responsibility. Uh, this film, it's about him getting married and getting a job, and we'll talk about it later. But in the fourth film, it's about him helping his wife get through a pregnancy and becoming a father. There's all these sort of every movie has these masculine coming of age themes in it, and and it this is probably the film where that is most blatant. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the main story in here, as you might guess from the, the title, Last Temptation of Toxie, which is a, a purity of the title of the Scorsese film around the same time, Last Temptation of Christ, is it's it's telling a story uh, from the New Testament of the Bible of um, Jesus being tempted by the devil. Oh, yes, the long night in the desert. Aha. With Harvey Keitel as Judas. Yes, and William Dafoe as Jesus. Enough with the crosses already. <laughs> Willem Dafoe is a, a... I don't know, I just he just always strikes me as creepy. I he, It's funny, I, I always... He's like the embodiment of, like, awesomeness, because my introduction to him was Elias in um, Oliver Stone's Platoon, who is, like, another... Oh, Christ. yeah. Another Christ character that he played mm -hmm. in nineteen uh, late eighties, early nineties. Sure. Um, I mean, speaking of Oliver Stone, well, we'll get back to the movie in a second, listeners. But um, I've we? been reading. What? I was like, will we now? No. <laughs> yeah, but no. Um, I was reading a really good memoir 
about a a guy that was a I think a, a legal assistant in the White House who ended up working for Oliver Stone's production company for a while. And some of like the unmade Oliver Stone films they were trying to develop was like uh, back when he was doing JFK and Nixon and all these biopics. Um, they wanted to do one on Martin Luther King. They wanted to do wow. one on Hitler, uh, Mao Zedong. Um, they had some really um, ambitious, neat ideas that mm. just didn't come to pass for whatever reason. And the I had a funny Al Pacino story where they had a whole script done for a movie on, um, I believe, Noriega. And oh, no, sure. uh, Pacino was all set to, to play him, but they, they have something in the... In Hollywood, perhaps in other businesses too, called pay or play, where if the production gets up to a certain point, even if the movie gets shit canned, you have to owe the the movie star their full fee. Oh shit! So so they're on the hook to to pay Pacino like ten million dollars, which the the company didn't have, but they, they worked out a deal. Said, why don't you star in this other one we're gonna do instead, uh, any given Sunday? No shit. So that that's how he got to be in any given Sunday. And Pacino's really good in that film. And I think that's Oliver Stone uh, doing like kind of a Robert Altman kind of style piece. Yeah, it's and an, it, it's, it, an, it's, an it's pretty good. Outlier. Yeah, it's a good flick. It's just a, it's not what I expected from Oliver Stone. Right. It, same with uh, what U-Turn was another one he did around the time that just felt yeah on on Oliver Stoney. Yeah, it was like Natural Born Killers without like the social media parody. <laughs> Before social media, yeah, it's uh, or any the closest you had to social media was you had to do something to get in a tabloid, right, at the time. Yeah, exactly. Like like it's like Natural Born Killers without the uh, true crime stuff. Rasher, would you ever buy tabloids at the grocery store? The only tabloid I ever bought was a copy of Weekly World News in nineteen ninety six. I see. We, um, as a kid, we had this board game we would play a lot at um, maybe holidays and and uh, family reunions called Tabloid Teasers. And, <laughs> and that sounds like a stag reel. Yeah, it, right. it does. It does. And and the uh, the main concept behind it was pretty brilliant. Is you basically got a headline and you had to say whether it was in a tabloid or not, like bullshit or not. Like it was such delightfully simple rules anyone could. Had to have fun with them, so that that's uh, I don't know if the board game is still available, but I recall having fun playing that as a kid. Now back to our alleged talk on Toxie Three. I mean, yeah. So it, he has to get a job that actually pays the bills, and and meanwhile Claire finds out there's who's who's blind. His wife uh, finds out she can get this surgery that'll fix her vision, but it costs um, like a third of a million dollars. It so, costs quite a bit, and and that's really the like the driving force of him. That that both the fact that he can't afford it is driving his depression, but the fact that he wants to do it really drives his search. And then one day he gets a job offer in the mail, and it turns out to be for Apocalypse Incorporated, who he f- fought pretty heavily in the previous <laughs> film. So this is just the fact that he's not immediately sus- like suspicious. Is you know goes to show how like how much this is just one film split up into two. I know, right? I think there's like also kind of an irony too is that like the '80s, especially like later '80s, is that like you were it was like known it, everyone was like a sellout basically. You know, it was like I'm gonna you know hang up my, cut yeah. my hair, hang up my bandana, get his briefcase, and be you know work for the man. Well, it's the whole yuppie yeah. thing, and there's like yuppie a lot and, of it in here, right? And I didn't realize this until. Later, because yuppie, I first encountered that word in Mad Magazine, uh, reading it in the 80s and 90s. And it actually is, uh, the first three letters, yup, are short for young urban professional. That's right, yeah. It's exactly what you're saying, in that it's uh, put in a suit and tie, make a six-figure job, go to the city, and and money, you know, greed is good, was the Wall Street um, tagline, I think, and, and all these things. You you can really sense uh, Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Herz's a disgust for this type of individual for every when, when in every scene after Toxie's yuppie transformation. Not just that, but you mentioned that they're doing it uh, for the the healthcare for the surgery for the the wife's uh, eye surgery, and they almost could have gone on that more because that in a way that's a. A satire, not even satire. I mean, it's uh, the American healthcare system, 
is very expensive and oh, yeah. not not in the interest of the uh, of the individuals. It's more on the side of the insurance companies. Yeah, it it, it is it is a passive protection racket. Uh, is <laughs> Pretty <what it> much. Is. <laughs> yeah, even then, it still makes people broke. Even if you have insurance, it's um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but like so, go on. Well, there's there's some fun things like you, you can see uh, Lloyd Kaufman's kind of film bona fides because there's this great bit where at one point Toxie considers suicide and he and they do they recycle the whole Buster Keaton gag where like he stands in front of the tunnel and we see the headlines the headlights heading straight towards him but then it turns out it's not one car it's two motorcycles <laughs> <laughs> I love that gag. Yeah, see, and that bit, like... bit where he's crying on the trash heap and like it starts as just a drip from his toxic eye, but then it's like a fire hose spraying out of his face. <laughs> yeah, like the little like uh, this is where this is the kind of movie where I kind of turn into the like if I ran the zoo kind of thing where I'm thinking yeah. like you could have some good bits of comedy of like Toxie at his desk, you know, and like the pen melts in his hand and like he can't stamp files and shit like that. I don't know. I just feel like we could get more like fun, physical, like ironic comedy from that. Like we kind of do in the beginning when he tries to work as like a tax collector and stuff like that. Yeah, like I feel like I, I, I think that's like we, I, we should see him being more desperate than we see him being. And if it, then his his decision to join Apocalypse Incorporated would seem a lot less rushed and a lot less forced. It'd be more motivated. And I, and I wish in a way, because, as you mentioned, Apocalypse is such a big part of the last film, the company, that maybe the company could have rebranded as something else where it was like Wapocalypse. <laughs> or, or something where it's obviously the same company but not aunt betty's delicious cake company yeah yeah hey, wait isn't this their apocalypse people no apocalypse was something different with their new Which, mission statement yeah oh, that was yeah. the other guy you know it, it would also allow them to sort of comment on like corporate rebranding because like re remember remember mm -hmm. when remember when facebook almost destroyed the world and their solution was to change their name to meta <laughs> You remember when everyone hated Comcast so much they changed their name to Xfinity? I mean, yeah, same. <laughs> this, this stuff never, never ends. Um, but but what do you all think of like Toxie's like yuppie transformation? What do you think of that version of Toxie? I wish they would have done more with it, like you said. And and I I, I feel the same about the uh, second Toxic Avenger film where he transforms into a Japanese salary man. That it's a good <laughs> gag, but they don't. There's a lot you could do with it. It seems a lot of kind of wasted potential but but seeing him in in the uh, american business suit and tie and stuff it's just a ridiculous image it, with, with him in that face and the, the the voice the howdy doody kind of voice Huey herman kind of positivity well, vibe it's just he sort of does this because you gotta go 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 hey look apocalypse is up 3.0s yeah right so the, it's um there's some great slang though like uh do an uh -huh. egg that's uh that's yeah. slang for having a breakfast or brunch meeting. Ah. And there's one thing I used to know what it means and I could not like and I couldn't like but I forgot and I couldn't look it up anywhere. It's I think it's like too obscure. It's that bit where he's talking to Claire and he says, "Hey, Kato do Kata Ketsa say," which that, that was a real thing yuppies would say and it was like something that sounded vaguely European and profound. And I used to know exactly what that was supposed to be, but I could not find any record of that anywhere. That's a pretty specific fool then. Huh? Interesting. And it's not just something from this movie. Like there was another thing in the nineties yeah, yeah. that used it. Uh, maybe, maybe next time I'll find it. I'll have more time to do research. Right. I, I had a, uh, I had a really bad boss one time who he, he brought up this like eighties term that, was an actual expression but people kept on acting like it wasn't just because it's uh frankly a bit racist but it, it's i i where he says let's let's take a let's take a peek at the kimono which <laughs> which which was actually and this guy did business in japan and stuff in, in the 80s with robotics i think but that was an actual corporate phrase people would use and it means like a, a peek behind the curtain is, is that a phrase they use in japan <laughs> Uh, I, because I bet it's not. I, yeah, no. Or 
if if so, it's done more discreetly, I would think. But yeah, it's when when I heard that in a meeting, I'm like, what? And they kept on using that phrase, <laughs> and it would just maybe he thought it'd be a laugh line, and and people would just, but it, it was just always met with utter silence. Wow. And I, I wish we would have had a Japanese employee to kind of blow up at him or something, but. Uh, anyhow, as we go towards the the end of the film, they, they make a point in one of the monologues, they do set up, you know, and in, in when you're writing a film that you want to do set up and payoff typically. And, and Toxie mentions that he likes uh, video games. And yeah, yeah, like we do have that quick shot of him playing five levels of doom talking about how it's the only thing he can do to relieve his anxiety. And because of that, you get a reveal towards the end that the, the chairman is actually the devil, albeit he's green. And, oh, let's play your favorite video game. And it basically goes into a bunch of these almost like jackass-style skits. <laughs> well, this is where the movie starts to pick back up again because we get – because when he can because the big thing is like Toxie realizes, wait a minute, you didn't say work for me. You said worship me. And, and he confronts the chairman, and the chairman turns into the devil, and it's a great gross transformation sequence. And the five levels of doom, uh, it's it's – it's rather delightful, but the connection, because like it's all elemental themed, the connections are very like tenuous in some level. Because like the earth level makes sense. He gets buried up to his neck in the earth, and this big industrial like lawnmower tries to cut his head off. And there's this great bit where Lisa Gay goes to the groundskeeper and goes, I'll pay you a million dollars to run that guy over. Wait, no, we're a trauma movie. We don't have a million dollars. I will give you thirty-seven dollars to run that guy over. <laughs> Great gag. And then, you know, fire, he sets uh, you know, the, the devil like gets a body made of hellfire and Toxie puts it out by peeing on him. Fun fun bit. But then you then it gets tenuous wind. A bunch of kids are trapped in a school bus teetering on a cliff, and I guess the wind is gonna blow it over. And this has Two of the best special effects uh, outside, two of the best practical, basic in-camera effects of anything in this movie. One is the gag one where Toxie needs to get to the top of the cliff. And so he like jumps and then they cut to a Toxie mannequin like rolling up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> which is great but then after when the, when the when he rescues the kids but the bus smashes the bus reassembles itself and it's just really neat reversed footage of tires reinflating and like the the hoods closing and parts moving around really cool uh then you know uh so then we get water where he's stuck on the hood of the bus and it drives into this ditch and he's going to drown but he gets out using an ancient sumo technique which is also reversing the film <laughs> and jumping out of the water <laughs> And finally, the fifth level, which no one's ever got to, where it's literally fighting the devil. And, it, you know, that it's a video game connection, I, I kind of wish they would have played up the video game thing more in the beginning. And also, it doesn't really look like a video game, but I think the smart thing about it with the different levels, with the elements, is they're, they're shorter um, scenarios. It's not like we're going to do a 20-minute fight scene again. Yeah, each one is a discreet com comedic fight scene it has a premise and and they work through a solution with a lot of slapstick uh and it's and it's nice and we get you know the devil getting ripped apart is great and he throws the devil's like skinned head in the air which lands in japan uh <laughs> and so we get to see some of the japanese characters again uh and then you know f oh and, and more there's there is actually some extra stuff that happens because part of him fighting the devil is that because of the terms of the contract, the devil turns Toxie back into Melvin, but it's not the original Mark Torgel. They couldn't get him. So it's just a guy with a comical buck teeth prosthetics pretending to be Mark Torgel talking in a voice like this, which if you're going to do that, you might as well just make him sound like Jerry Lewis. I don't know why they didn't do that. <laughs> oh, I'm toxic and I'm melting. Um, <laughs> right. It, it's, um, I, but, I but really then, wish they would have ponied up the extra $5 or whatever it was. I know. The original actor, because he does come oh, back in Toxie 4. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, Lloyd Kaufman does say in the audio commentary, he regrets that they didn't pay more and fight harder to get Mark Torval. He felt it would have been better. Um, but uh, this is where Claire shows her initiative because she did get the surgery. She did get her sight back. But the devil took it away when Toxie turns against the devil. In a world with two many comic book podcast and not enough deep dives into your favorite superheroes 
One podcast stands as a shining beacon in a world of pain and darkness. Yeah, yeah, darkness. Yeah, lots of darkness. Bunch of dark stuff. Superhero stuff you should know. That's us. Andrew, why are you talking like that? I'm the movie voice guy now. I'm the new movie voice guy, and it's time for you to listen to superhero stuff you should know. <laughs> uh, so we have, like, unused concept art, unmade scripts, unmade superhero movies, all check us out at superhero stuff you should know. Ben, you should do a movie voice guy voice. Guy voice. Uh, I would, but I think we're out of time. Superhero Stuff You Should Know, part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Part of the HyperX Podcast Network. I just said that. Hi, we have a podcast where we go to Podford University, a fake college where you... Wait, 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 it's fake? Yeah, what? I just paid tuition. I Same, I did too. What, to who? Uh, well, uh, well, we're doing the ad. I, let me finish. Find Podford University, available wherever podcasts are sold and on the HyperX Podcast Network. Loot Drop Incoming. Get to the drop at HyperX.com for store-wide savings. HyperX is fighting the battle against inflation with deep discounts across all categories of HyperX gear. Head there quick, though. Once March ends, so does the madness. Is the HyperX Loot Drop 2 going on now at HyperX.com. Uh, but she runs back to the house and finds the original employment contract, which she reads by smelling it, which is great. <laughs> uh, and, and uh, you know, she discovers that the contract does have an escape clause, which basically comes down to God is allowed to cancel the contract. And, and God kind of smiles upon Toxie's valiant last stand and like a cleansing rain comes down. No, it just rained on the day they were filming because they didn't have time to check the weather reports. They just wrote that into the <laughs> film. But, you know, uh, Toxie gets his powers back and he rips the devil to shreds and chases Apocalypse Incorporated out of town. Uh, and then finally, uh, and then we end on uh, Toxie and Claire, you know, getting married and they are pronounced monster and wife. And it's fun. It's fun to see them walking down the aisle. She's in her slutty bride outfit and he's got the top hat on <laughs> trying to look real sophisticated. I know that's good. And uh, I love the act of God thing because it's just like, you know, whatever deus ex machina fuck it like it's your movie fuck the rules just fucking make it interesting you know but but this is a faustian story this is a new testament story it is thematically appropriate to have god the hand of god you know manifest entirely because the you know the antagonist is the devil (laughs) very very true yeah and and this is a movie where you you look at it and, and you keep on going and on the one hand, you know, on video, it didn't get much of a theatrical release, but that's typical for trauma. But on video, this did well. And Toxie, you know, is their most well-known character. It but, showed up on cable a lot. It was also a fixture on mm-hmm. USA's Up All Night. Right. At the same time, it took them quite some time to do a fourth one. And I wonder why that is. Well, I think I think there well, there's 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 two reasons. One, I think the experience of doing these two movies back to back really burned out Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Herz. Uh, and I think they wanted to sort of concentrate creatively elsewhere. Um, I think that was part of it. Um, but also, uh, I think they had to wait for a, a better idea. And then, you know, keep in mind, like after, after this, you know, Lloyd, Lloyd Kaufman would put a lot more, he would put a lot of energy into Tromeo and Juliet. Yeah, I was going to say, because like after Toxie 3, there's like a lot of bitch and trauma stuff. Uh, Sergeant Kabuki Man, um mm-hmm. Uh, Tromeo and Juliet, and uh, blah, 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 blah. You, you when know, did um, Class of Newcomb High? That was, what, 90... Uh, I think Newcomb High... Oh, that's 86. Yeah, I think Newcomb, yeah, Newcomb High, uh, I believe, predates Toxic Avenger. Yeah, but you've got some pretty good staple trauma stuff in between um, 3 and 4. It really, like you said, it, it really does seem like they were probably just burnt on Toxie with these we, two back-to-backs. Well, you, I think you know what I think it might also be more fallout from Sergeant Kabuki Man because as hard a time as they had making this movie, they had a worse time doing Sergeant Kabuki Man. Oh yeah, uh, 
yeah, uh, Lloyd Kaufman, by all accounts, despises that movie and regrets making it. And you can see that when we get to the next movie, when you see how Sergeant Kabuki Man is depicted, you can really <laughs> see him working out his anger against his own character. <laughs> right. Um, so, um, would you recommend Toxic Avenger Part 3? I, I'm going to give it a sequel no. I, I think the, the stuff where it drags, it's just too much. I'm partial to the Tokyo stuff in the second one. That one was barely a sequel, yes, for me. This one is a. A solid sequel, no. It's um, maybe watch the first 20 minutes and that's it. I like the video store stuff. The rest uh, it isn't one of my favorites. Um, Alex? Um, I, I hate to do it, but yeah, the sequel, no. I always, you know, have a fun time in Tromaville. But, like, again, the video store stuff, it's fun. But it also goes on for a long time. Like, even the fun video store stuff I felt like went on for a while. Um, and again, like... I'm trying to like if I if somebody asked me to synopsize it and I just watched this movie yesterday, I kind of have a hard time. I'm like, all right, it opens, you have some fun, a uh, little ironic narration, and then there's just kind of this like gray area of like, okay, he sells out, he has a flashback to being Melvin, and then the show, like, yeah, I don't know, I, there's just pieces. And there's this movies in pieces, and I I can't even put it together just having watched it yesterday. It's not for lack of interest. I just think it's because it's a very disjointed film. Right. Uh, I'm going to be contrarian. I'm going to give give it a sequel. Yes, one because it does advance the Toxie story, but two, watch watch the beginning and around the time we get that Buster Keaton gag, you can stop paying attention to the film, <laughs> uh, and then you can start paying attention to the film once the once the devil manifests. It's really obvious. You'll see it on the screen. Um, and, and really, I, 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 that's kind of how I ended up watching it when it was on TV when I was much younger. Like, when you when you watch it in that casual way, it's a great film. So why not watch it in that casual way? <laughs> yeah, if you're watching it like while doing homework or like folding laundry or something, it's it's you know it's it's functional. But you if don't it's like, study it like we did, you will not like it. Yes, that's the problem. Yeah, if you're casually watching it and you know not. It's the difference between, you know, um, interacting with a movie and merely watching a movie. Have a tall glass of water. Yeah, exactly. Right. So um, let's move on to what you're watching. And, uh, there, you know, it's been a, a while since we've done a, a previous episode. I will talk about something I... Uh, Is it Cats? No, not cats. Not we, I made him watch cats. <laughs> yeah, for, for those that don't know, for, for my birthday, I had a Thrasher and the original uh, sequel cast co-host, Jersey Jason, fly up for a few days here in Portland. It was a lot wow. of fun. We watched a lot of movies. And um, what we... But I, I will talk about one we talked, which I haven't seen in a while. And it is the... Uh, it's on Hulu. It, I'm just looking it up right now. It's called Batman and Bill. It's a documentary about Bill Finger, the uh, the writer and co-creator of Batman, and just kind of the, uh, the story that goes across a few generations of trying to get the proper uh, credit uh, on movies in particular that Batman's created, not just by Bob Kane, but by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Very cool. Uh, what did What did you think about that one, Thrasher? I think... Overall, I liked it. Now, admittedly, most of it is stuff I already knew because I have pretty in intensely studied the history of American comics. So, like, very little of it was new information to me, except for when it got into Bill Finger's extended family, which I found fascinating on so many levels. Him him having a son, that son being gay, but that son having a kid, uh, and, like, you know, there being, there still being, like, a Finger family out there. Um but I, I thought it was very well directed. I like the way the, the, the guy who was writing the book on Bill Finger, the way he kind of, the way he sort of, the way he was part of the story, I thought was was wonderful. I did like the animated segments where they would like reproduce historical moments with like little animated comic book panels. Very, very well done. And I really, I really felt for everybody in, in that film. Yeah. And in those segments, it's a bit, um, it, it doesn't look like a cheap cartoon. Like they're done, like uh, stylized in a comic book fashion with kind of limited animation that I think works. 
But more specifically, in an, in an old-timey comic book fashion. Like, it, they, they look yes. of a yeah. piece with what was coming out of DC Comics at the time Batman was created. Right, so more realistic human proportions, um, kind of the, not not quite Dick Tracy, but some of that, that blockiness to the, the characters' heads. And uh, have you seen this, Alex? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty well well done. Um, Hulu's been doing documentaries for uh, quite a bit now, and this was one of their earlier ones. Uh, the thing that I'm not as crazy about that Thrasher touched on is it does have it does the Michael Moore thing where it makes the documentarian kind of a character in the piece. Oh, yeah. And in this one, like they, they tone it down, but Michael Moore. Uh, can get away with it because I think he he's um, a knowledgeable guy, a humorous guy, right. and is, is charismatic in his own way. And there's uh, that investigative but, element to it too, you know, where he's taking yeah. you on this journey. You're learning what what he's learning, you know. And then you have a little bit of that here, but just the guy is just not quite as compelling. Um, but but overall, I I would would recommend it, and it's uh, you know, it's it's recent enough where they even go into how when warner brothers uh how warner brothers treated the i guess it'd be what the granddaughter of bill finger right mm, yes it was different before and after the the merger with time warner and stuff happened where it became you know uh hbo and warner brothers and uh, i'm probably getting the details wrong but uh, when that big merger happened that how they were treated and so forth so um good good show i'd recommend it uh alex what you've been watching let's see what have i been watching this is a film that i get a it's it's not a perfect movie it's a really good movie though and it merits multiple rewatches and i just get this random urge like every year or so to pop it on pop it in and it's uh david mamet's homicide not homicide life on the street but homicide just homicide it's when did this come out? I'm not familiar with this one. 91. And um, mm, okay. you know how this started? It started because I was ripping on Aaron Sorkin because I was yeah. like, when I hear a movie is written and directed by David Mamet, I get more excited because it's written and directed by David Mamet. How come Which, who's that, quoted in the previous film? Yeah. And then I'm thinking, like, then how come I don't feel the same way about Aaron Sorkin when I find out that he's directing one of his screenplays? Um, reference to Trial of the Chicago 7 and being the Ricardos. Um, whatever. So then I was like, you know, I really want to watch Homicide. That's a really good movie. And it's fascinating. And I love this, like, trope of, of writing. And it's something I've, I've, I've doinked around with in the past is that, like, you have your main story. It's about a, a homicide detective on this high-profile case. You got this big gangster case. You know, the F, the, Fed, F, the FBI just got taken off of it. It's handed back to the police. They've got all these plans and angles. And then the main character gets embroiled in this, like, other little rink-a-dink crime that just, like, this homicide that just is such, like, a podunk thing. He's missing all of the action. And then this little side story is so much more than, obviously, we're led to believe. And I love the idea of, like, the other story. Like, what else is going on? You know, like... That great episode of Buffy, um, where uh, what's his face gets like has this like little like side narrative of these like uh, these like goblin vampire kids, you know, while they're like fighting the hell mouth. This is like that. This is basically like <laughs> mm. the other movie that's going on. The B story is the A story, but it's very okay. conscious of that. And um, basically, they uh, this woman, this older Jewish woman, is just kind of seemingly murdered for no reason, and you're trying to figure out why. And the the homicide detective played by Joe Montana is also Jewish and it kind of kind of reignites something in him about his his um his faith and his his people. And he kind of what happens is that he kind of falls in with this like underground Zionist group in like underneath like the streets of Chicago. And um it's a it's a brilliant movie and the cast is incredible. It's uh, Joe Montana, William H. Macy, Jack Wallace, Ricky Jay, Ving Rhymes, uh, Rebecca Pigeon. Um, also, you get to see William H. Macy play a tough guy, which is really mm. fun. Yeah. So um, it's I, a David Mamet tough guy, so not like a, like a tough, real tough guy, mm -hmm. you know. But uh, it's yeah. fascinating. Right. Uh, I need to watch more Mamet's movies. Uh, Spanish Prisoner, I really liked. Um, Red Belt is okay, but I admire he keeps them like pretty lean and mean as far as their running time. And I, it, perhaps that comes from him starting out as a playwright. 
But um, Mamet is one of those writers, like, this is a weird comparison, but like Tarantino or uh, Kevin Smith or something, where yeah. within a minute of watching it, you know who wrote this. Because oh, totally. the, the dialogue is very, has a particular um, flow to it. And and Mamet has a lot of like just like short, punchy sentences, uh, a lot right. of cursing, um, and lot just of kind of laser focused. Yeah, it's like also that like critique of masculinity, you know, is always a big thing. Like, I I think the best review ever was um, of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and it's um uh, if <laughs> what was it uh this this is basically death of a fucking salesman. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm also thinking, you mentioned Sorkin. Mamet's kind of the opposite of Sorkin. Sorkin kind of overwrites and Mamet underwrites. Yes, exactly. I think oh, my uh, critique of Aaron Sorkin is that he writes scripts like he's still pissed off no one invited him to his uh, birthday. You know, like, <laughs> it's like, I, I'm so much smarter than you. Fuck you. I'm smart and everyone else isn't. It's, it's like the I'm smart and I know it. Yeah, it's like, but there's just a smugness to his writing that I have a hard uh-huh. time with. Um, and then when he directs that, it's just like bored right into your head. Um, well, maybe Mamet should have um, Bill Maher star in one of his films. There we go. That that might work. Uh, <laughs> Rasher, any thoughts on those uh, fun little writers we were talking about? Well, just that that Mamet has sort of slowly but surely become the type of person he used to vilify. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Thrasher, what are you even watching? All right, so uh, I want to. Uh, so flashing back to Batman and Bill, I did see the Batman. Uh, yes. This weekend, and I can confirm right there in the credits at the end, Batman created by Bob Kane and, and Bill Finger. So he's got his major mainstream film credit credit um i figure we're probably going to do a catch-up about this movie later so i'm not going to talk about the movie what i want to talk about is the way that i saw it um there is a new drive-in theater in lagrange kentucky and that's where i saw this film it's the uh sauerbeck family drive-in and it Mm. was one of the best drive-in experiences i've ever had no shit i I've never had the fortune of going to a drive-in. I've always thought about it, and when I got around to it, the places went out of business. If, but if you, they have been seeing a resurgence during COVID. Oh yeah, I, I say if you if you can come up here and visit, we will definitely go because they they sure, tend sure. to pair a new movie with an old movie. This was part of a double feature with Godzilla versus Kong. Nice. The new uh, one or the yeah uh, yeah the one from a few uh, the one that, from the beginning of the pandemic. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. So I it, it saying that um and you said it this is a, a new one you went to it, is the audio still how they handled it before so they have a short range FM transmitter so you can listen yeah. to your car stereo uh we did not do that we actually brought a portable battery and I have this I have this CD radio combination radio CD player that's designed to look like an old timey radio, like an old tube radio from like nice. the 30s. So we brought that and we listened to it through that. So it was rather like turning into the old shadow show. Mm-hmm. Nice. So I mean, in some ways that might have that might have had better reception than the little unit they give you. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's it was I was a, I was able to get pretty good audio out of it, and it's a little better quality. It was in stereo. Well, I mean, the things in stereo. I don't know if they can if you can transmit uh, through stereo properly or not on on analog. But um, but oh, but it was but yeah. So we had we had great audio. We had a, a pretty good a pretty good space to watch it. Good clean picture. They use they use a fancy digital a four K digital projection setup. Hmm. I, mean, I think you have to to do modern movies anymore. We had um, oh, we had some pulled pork nachos from their concessions, which was a, a nice little concession shack. Like ooh, it actually, it, it, it had a little bit of room inside. It was the least cramped concession shack I've ever been to. But um, when you say pulled pork, um, is it barbecue sauce on it, or is it pulled pork on top of cheese or, or nacho uh, cheese? There, or what are you talking about? There is there is cheese and a sweet barbecue sauce. Huh. Okay. And, and I, yeah, and, and it was it was dark, but I lo- I think it had like those little scallions on it too, just as like a little garnish slash speaking, seasoning. 
Speaking of dark, I've heard the new movie, The Batman, visually is is pretty dark, even for a Batman movie. Yes, Did you it find it, it hard to make out what was going on on the screen, or... Um, I I didn't, but I've got a pretty good eye for that. That being said, there's one particular scene that is lit only by muzzle flashes from automatic weapons cool. that was impossible to follow and very overindulgent. <laughs> I mean, like, I've just noticed some of these things uh, at home. I can see what's going on much better than in the theater. And it's not, I mean, I'm getting older. My eyes are getting worse, but it's also a lot of theaters will uh, not have the the bulb and the projector do the the full vo- voltage to save on money because they're expensive to uh, uh, mm, those replace. And it, yeah, and when I saw my, the um, the one that really sticks out is, oh, the, the Han Solo um, one-off movie. I think it was just called Solo, right? Solo, oh, yeah. a Star Wars story yes, or something yeah. like that. And, and uh, uh, in the beginning, there's scenes where he's negotiating with the slug preacher and it was so fucking dark. All I could see was like a little shaft of light in the corner. This place is so <laughs> underlit. Yeah, I was like, Ronnie Howard, I know you know better. Come on. Right. Um, but yeah, how was um, how was my man Robert Pattinson? Yeah. He he was mostly really good. Good. All right, cool. Like I think Pattinson... Oh, go on. Well, I was going to say, he, he, he plays Batman very well. Uh uh, and he, a lot of people are commenting that he doesn't play Bruce Wayne very well. I have some comments for that. I'm going to save for when we actually cover the film. I, I will say, though, the reason I think the reason his Bruce Wayne doesn't come off as well as his Batman is he plays a character with no interior life. But frankly, mm-hmm. everyone in this movie plays a character with no interior life. Yeah. Mm. And I don't know if that's coming from the script or the direction. The only two people who play characters with an interior life are Zoe Kravitz and John Turturro. And I think that's because of choices they are making, not because of the script they have or the direction they've been given. I was uh, browsing around on Amazon, and um, I kind of wish they'd do this more for comic book movies, but it it was a collection of trades, I think for 60 bucks for three trades, which you're not really saving money on that, but... It's uh, trades that kind of inspired the the script for this uh, new movie, and, oh, yeah. and one and one was the Lawn Halloween, uh, the second was Hush, and the third one just was compilations of random kind of one shot comics. Uh, some of which, some of which were like Catwoman focused. I'll admit I had so little interest in this movie just because I am super duper worn out on yeah. Batman. Um, oh, me but- too. I am kind of you've you've rejuvenated my interest a little bit in this. I'm actually kind of looking forward to covering it on the show. The the last thing I'm going to say about the movie is you can tell this is a movie made by somebody who's seen the animated series. Okay, that 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 piques mm. my curiosity even more. Yeah, um, but back back to the drive, you know, back to the driving experience. You know, it's like I mean, everything everything is is new, but the concession area was great. Uh, the only, I mean, the only real bad thing, uh, well, one, it's kind of hard to find because it's out in this recently developed uh, rural area. Um, uh, two, because it's recently developed, there is there is like this like industrial facility down the road from it that has these security lights up uh i found those security lights to be a distraction when the film started it went away pretty quickly but but it's 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 like they're so they're so glaring i'm kind of like shocked that there wasn't like a barrier or something thrown up so that like no one in the uh in the drive-in has to look at it Oh, and I and one the one weird thing uh, I will say about this drive-in, it's on D.W. Griffith Lane. Surely <laughs> you could have found another filmmaker to name your lane after. I wonder what is, that was named. It is Kentucky. Yeah, but like, sure, like and you could have found somebody if you wanted to name this road after a filmmaker. How about someone less controversial like Roman Polanski? You you say there controversial. He made a movie. <laughs> he made a movie vaunting the clan. <laughs> Not va- like basically yes. like like cheering them on with righteous aplomb. Yeah. Yeah. A, a movie so racist, it looks like a modern fake movie made to mock old-timey racist attitudes. Pretty much. It's fucking brutal. 
um, it's if you ever revisit it, and I encourage that you don't. It's always worse than you think. I had to confront it as a part of a, a video project I did last year for oh. a class. I was in, and I was like, why did I do this to myself? I'm a fucking idiot. Yeah, when I was taking some of my film courses in college, um, or film history courses, really, they wouldn't show clips of of um, Birth of a Nation or what's the other one he did that was more of a historical epic? Um, Intolerance. Thank you, Intolerance. And that was but kind they of would, like apology for Birth of a Nation. Yeah, but but they they had no problem showing clips of uh, uh, Mein Kampf, not Mein Kampf, excuse me, uh, Praying for the Will. Mm-hmm. Oh, gotcha. Well, Which I guess is... keep, keep in mind, like, Triumph of the Will was made to make the, the Nazi regime look good. So, like, Propaganda. it doesn't show all the awful shit they were doing. Birth of a Nation, we see Klansmen riding out intent to lynch people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. And on the other thing, too, like, as fucked up as it is to say, um, like, the cinematic prowess of Lenny Riefenstahl is, like, yes. it's teachable. You know, it's some pretty revolutionary it's, shit. It's, I mean, the, the other thing is, is like that, that is what blowing propaganda looks like. You might as well see that so you can recognize it when someone targets you with glowing propaganda. Exactly. And, and, and watching that film made me appreciate Starship Troopers even more because it takes a few, <laughs> yep. uh, a few uh, direct fences from, um, trying for the will. So there we go. Uh, I mean, this has been quite the show. We've talked about Toxic Avenger 3. We've talked about Hitler. We've talked about driving movies. It, it's um, a, it's a, a film course in and of itself, this episode. Right. It's, so, it's so next, credit. Uh-huh. Next week, we'll be talking about uh, the, the final film this far in the Toxic Avenger saga. Toxic Avenger 4. Why can't Citizen I find the title? Toxic. Thank you, Citizen Toxy. Oh, and my dogs are going to turn me to pieces because I need to feed them. Um, so um, with, with that in mind, I believe it is uh, it's Alex's turn to pick the next uh, movie. So you have one in mind? Holy movie shit. series? I forgot. No, I didn't forget. Um, let's see. What's our, bleh, what are some of the ones I was throwing around? We're just going to oh, watch my... House five times. Yes, House. Oh, um, in the chat, you threw some the up. the Mass movies? Ooh. I think that should be fine. Are they're accessible. Just, yeah. I mean, risk of the worst, you can probably rent them. Let's. Um, I'll, I can, I'll look into um, that and get back to you. But I can you, upload you can, them. Too, you you can work something out. Yeah. I'm gonna cut that upload comment out. Yes. But, but yes, let's 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 do that because that's that's the most direct thing. Um, we'll do it like last time. So because that looks like the shining. So thanks for that. Okay. Um, let's do. We have our sequel scene. Prepared as always by Thrasher. So this is a scene from uh, Toxic Avenger 3. You know, you want to set up the stage. It has three characters, yeah, one this, line of dialogue each. Yeah, this is a... Uh, so this this is the moment when Toxie realizes that the chairman may in fact be the devil and that he misheard the chairman's initial employment offer. So like in the film, this is practically a montage because it keeps cutting between Toxie, his memory, but then also his memory of, of the priest that he goes to when he, when he goes to church. So we have the chairman, we have the toxic Avenger and we have father O'Reilly. Who wants to play who? I'll do father O'Reilly. I'll be the chairman. I'll be Toxie. Okay. And I'll read stage directions. Yep. All these things I will give you if you will work for me. All these things I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Wait, you said worship me, not work for me. Where have I heard that before? Flashback to church. Hunter devil said to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Hi, 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 So, from that, um, next week we'll be doing Toxie for Citizen Toxie. Uh, you can download episodes of the show at sequelcast2.com, part of the HyperX podcast network. Um, and all that so for uh you can follow me on twitter at mapwbt and 
uh, check out my website, matwbt.com, for information on my books and, and uh, freelance articles and so forth. They really should update that page more. Um, Thrasher. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at WT2Art. Uh, you know, you can check out uh, some of my enamel pins, uh, microfiber cloths, other things I've had a hand in. If you go to A Punch in the Art uh, on Etsy, just look at the WT2 Designs uh, subsection on that. Uh, and, you know, pick up, why not pick up one of the gaming PDFs I've written, such as 100 Oddities for an Arcane Academy. And Alex... You can find me on Twitter at CrabNebula1914. I'd rethink that title if I could. But um, And also you can ch check out my YouTube channel, The Trailer Project, featuring trailer commentaries for various films and some oddball experimental stuff I always like to tinker around with. Um, nothing new on the front right now because I decided to enroll in three honors courses at a math class this semester, and I just have too much goddamn stuff going on. <laughs> But you know, busy little boy. Exactly. So your, your semester ends in May, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to yeah. be a tight few months. Mm -hmm. oh, um, so, all right. Yep. Um, the uh, upload thing is on the level because I'm doing independent research on um, Hammer. So I have uh, access to uh, files and such. I'll cut that out too. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, all right. So for for sequel cast two, this is Matt, and this is Thrasher, and this is Alan. And the good people of Tromaville could rest easy knowing they were under the protection of the Toxic Avenger. I don't know what it is with these video stores. They should just carry more wholesome things like trauma movies. I was making sure kids were eating their lima beans. Let me bop, Claire. Let me bop, Claire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can't even get it up. Speaking of that, the pets have literally battened down the, the hatches. They've, they've knocked down the, uh, as you can hear, they've knocked down the uh, the baby gate that keeps the okay. dogs out of where the litter box is. And they're, uh, Are you like talking on the row right now? The base, yes, yes, and let be ripped in twain. So I'll, um, but, but good, good show, everyone. And.